Wow, you can be seated. Great to see you today. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. One of the greatest areas of stress in our life is finances. Uh, if you have money, you're stressed because you're trying to keep the money. And if you don't have money, you're stressed because you'd like to make some money. Can I get a witness today? Amen? Is that true? And so one of the great areas of stress in our life really centers around money and finances. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I have a box here on the stage. And uh, many times when it comes to finances, we live in a box. We live in a box. We feel confined. And if I can get into this box without hurting myself, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we can be confined. Sometimes we feel limited by our finances. Maybe you've gotten some bad news this week or maybe over the last few months and, and you just feel constricted. Uh, maybe you've saved some money, but then you had a crisis and you had to spend the money and now you're worried about trying to get the money back. Maybe you've lost a job or, or, or something didn't go according to plan. Uh, maybe you're not financially where you expected to be at this time in your life and you feel frustrated and disappointed by it. I know there's been some seasons in Gina and I's life we felt like we were in a financial box and I didn't even want to look at the bank statements at the end of the month because it was just so stressful. Have you ever felt that way before? It's like, you know, when it comes in the mail, you don't want to look at it, you know, or you don't want to go online. You're like, oh, I just want to think about something else. And we feel constricted by that. A lot of fear can come from our finances. And the result that most people come to, the conclusion is, is that I need to work harder, I need to save more, I need to budget more. And certainly those things are good things, and I'm sure we should all do tons of that. However, I wanna share with you something today that I believe really may change the way that you look at your money. It, it may stretch you a bit today, and it may, it may be an angle on your finances that, that maybe you've never considered before, but is something that really has the power and the capacity to help you get out of the box and to walk in freedom and to really rise up from where you are and to go to the next level in your faith and in your finances. I want us to look today at one of the great stories of the Old Testament. I'm talking about Cain and Abel. Let's look today at Genesis chapter four at this powerful story right from the beginning. I mean, in Genesis chapter one and two, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter three, there's the fall of humanity. <clears throat> and then in chapter four, we see a powerful story about two brothers related to their possessions and their stuff. Cain and Abel. Everybody say Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. They were two brothers and yet they were so different. I mean, have you ever known, have you ever known like siblings and you're like, are you guys even from the same family? Are you guys from the same universe? You know, you've got one that's over here and one that's over here. Cain and Abel are brothers. They're from Adam and Eve. These are the first children that are born on the earth. I mean, they grew up, they had the same parents, they had the same home, totally different guys, totally different guys. But before we get to Cain and Abel, I was reading an article this week um, called The Impact of Financial Stress on Your Health and Wellness. It's written by a medical doctor, Dr. Charles Mayo. 
And he concluded after an extensive amount of research that people who deal with financial stress oftentimes are unable to sleep. Have you ever wrestled in bed and laid there for hours because you could not go to sleep? You were worried about the money. Uh, encounter severe headaches, uh, have heart problems, uh, a weak memory. Maybe, you know, you, there's just times in your life where, you, you know, you were under a lot of stress. You can't remember certain things. Weak memory. Hair loss. See, guys, listen, if we could get this under control, you wouldn't have to join the hair club for men. Right? Be good. Oh, and this even gets better. Low sex drive. Okay, that comes from being stressed about the money. Well, all that to say, we need the Lord, don't we? We need God. We need God. I want us to look at this powerful story because what we're going to see from the life of Cain and Abel is their ideology and their belief about possessions. And see, what we need more than good planning and hard work, as great as those things are, we need to bring God into the box of our life. And I want to share with you today how God can enter in to our financial lives in a powerful way that begins to lift us up out of the confinement and into freedom. Amen? So let's look together, if we can, here at Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. So here's the first two, two guys born on the earth. Cain, big brother, Abel, little brother. Cain and Abel. And Cain, we know from reading the text, was actually a farmer. And Abel was a rancher. So one was growing vegetation. One was shoveling the poop of the sheep, you know. Rancher and a farmer. And it's interesting that the name Cain means possessions or to get, which really is a foreshadowing of where the story is about to go. And Abel, his name means frailty. Abel realized he needed the Lord. Cain thought he had it going on. Cain thought, I need to get more for myself. Look at me. I got this all figured out. My name is Cain. Abel, I need the Lord. Cain lived in a box. Abel lived outside of the box. Let's see where this goes. In verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of his firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. All right, so it's worship time. And Cain, the Bible says, brought a little something to God. He brought something that God, in essence, really rejected. And, and conversely, the brother Abel brought something that God loved and God commended. Now, now what, was, what was the difference? And for thousands of years, people have been talking about why did God reject the offering of Cain and receive the offering of Abel? Look at this. This is implied in the passage, and it's a little bit hard to see, but I think as we uncover it, it makes more sense. It says there, in the process of time. In other words, Cain 
grew his crops, and then when he got around to it, he brought an offering to the Lord. So here's the first question. When does God want me to give? Cain said, when I get around to it, okay, uh, in the course of time. Now, I have been saying in the course of time in my life a lot. Maybe you say in the course of time, my garage is a mess. My garage totally needs to be cleaned. In the course of time, I may get to the garage, right? I've got some sprinklers that need to be adjusted. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how they shoot out on the driveway sometimes? And in the course of time, I may get to that. I've got some papers on my desk that need to be organized in the course of time. And this was the same attitude that Cain had when it came to bringing the offerings to the Lord. I, yeah, when, when I, whenever I get around to that, like, you know, whenever it's convenient, whenever I get caught up, when, whenever I feel it, so to speak, in the course of time. And he brought some of these fruits as an offering to the Lord. And the emphasis here is that what Cain brought was kind of the leftovers. I mean, in Abel, it says he brought the first fruits of his flock, which is the first and best. But Cain brought kind of what was left over, right? I mean, Cain was a farmer, and he looked around, and he said, you know what? I think those cucumbers are going bad. Let me take those to the Lord. I was over at King Supers the other day, and they were having a sale on the blueberries, and, and they were like 50% off. And I love blueberries. And I got like, you know, two big things of blueberries. I was like, oh, this is so cheap. This is so awesome. And I took them home and I put them in the fridge and I came back like five days later. And guess what? They were like mold infested, you know? And you know, when the mold starts to grow and they get all young, you know, you can't like pick them out. Like it's contaminated, right? You got to throw them away. So if you go to King Supers and buy blueberries 50% off, you need to like run home and eat them immediately. I love avocados. Walmart sometimes will sell avocados three for a dollar. I eat avocados almost every day. That is like the food of choice in the Heller household. I love it. But when they're three for a dollar, there is no hesitation. You almost have to eat them in the parking lot before you get home because they will get funky on you. When it says that Cain brought his offering at a certain time, in the course of time, the Hebrew scripture is saying to us that Cain went around and he found his blueberries that were 50% off and he found his avocados that were three for a dollar and he found the tomatoes that were kind of squishy on the outside and he brought those to the Lord. And that's why God said, Cain, come on, buddy, you can do better than that. And yet God rejoiced in the offering of Abel. Now, let's look at this other brother. His name is Abel and Abel brought the first fruits. I mean, he brought, and I love this, the Bible says the fat portions. Can somebody say amen? I mean, I mean, like, he brought the good stuff. When I eat a steak, I don't like the fat portions, but I'm telling you, all the way through the Old Testament, God loves what is fat. He loves fat stuff. And, and what that means is that God received the best of what Abel had. He brought, like, the fat cows, like the 
the fat livestock, the first portion. If you read in the book of Exodus, um, when the Hebrew people had livestock, the firstborn of that animal would go to the Lord. That would go to the house of worship. And then whatever that that cow or, or that goat or, or whatever animal that may be, whatever offspring that it had beyond that, you know, the people would keep. But God got the first. That's the first fruit. The first portion goes to God. We call that today in the 21st century the tithe, right? And, and throughout the Old Testament, the tithe. The first portion goes to God. God gets what's first. So when do I give? I give to God first. And practically speaking, if you wait to the end of the month to give to God, it probably won't be there. Amen? Maybe you've been there before, right? But we give to God first for another reason, too. There's a spiritual reason. I think there's a practical reason, which is it may not be left. The spiritual reason is we always want to put God first in all that we do, right? So when we bring offerings, when we bring tithes, we bring what is first to God because what we're saying is God is first and I trust and I believe in the Lord, right? Now, giving and tithing is, is one of the greatest acts of faith. When you tithe, you're saying, God, I trust you. Listen, if you wait to tithe till, till it's, it's convenient or a good time, guess what? It's never a good time to start tithing, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. There's always a reason to not tithe. I've been a tither since I was eight years old, but I'm telling you, I could talk myself out of it. I've got 15 reasons to not tithe. There's never a good time to start tithing. But when we tithe, we put God first. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. When the New Testament begins to com comment on the Old Testament, it kind of brings out the highlight reel. And here's what the writer of Hebrews said. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. And Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed and approved his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks by his example of faith. Now, Abel had a legacy of faith because of his generosity. Amen. And think about this today. How could you have a legacy of faith? How could you speak even though you are dead? Oftentimes it's through being generous. I mean, we can keep speaking even long after we're gone. And I love that commentary about Abel. But notice the first part of Hebrews 11.4. It says it was by faith. So every time that you bring a tithe, you do so in faith, right? You do so in faith. You believe, hey, if I bring this to God, God is going to take care of the other needs that I have in my life. It's by faith. It's by faith. We do it all by faith. Abel brought it by faith. So, when should I give first? Give to God first. I hope that you fear God more than you do Wells Fargo mortgages. I hope you fear God. I hope you pay your mortgage, but I hope you fear God first and most. More than anything else, we bring that first to God. We're saying that's the priority. That's the priority. It's to God. Now, when, when do we do this? It, it, it sounds like contrarian economics, doesn't it? So I want to, I, I need to have more and I'm struggling and I'm stressed and yet now I'm supposed to give to God. It sounds kind of 
kind of contrarian, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like kind of backwards. If I give more, then I will have less. But notice what Leviticus 27 says here. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from soil or fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord and is holy to the Lord. So whatever our revenue streams are, we give that to the Lord. Gina and I tithe on our general normal income. We have other forms of income. We tithe on that. When we sell our, our property or, or we have other forms of income, God, God always is first in those things. The tithe goes to him. The tithe is holy. It's set apart. It's specifically for God. And, and the faith aspect of this says this. I believe that God can do more with my 90 than I can do with 100. That's an act of faith right there. I believe God can take less and do more than what I can do by myself with all of it. God just has that ability. He really does. That's God. All the way through the Bible, we see this concept. Um, in, in the book of Joshua, um, it's not necessarily a place where we always think about tithing and giving. But I'll tell you what is so interesting. When you read the battle of Jericho, God says this is the first battle that is fought uh, there in the conquest of Canaan. And the Israelites go and they uh, take over the city. And God says, I want you to give all of the spoils to me first. Then as the Israelites go and they conquer all the other cities, God says, you guys keep all that stuff. I just wanted the first part. Tithe first. This is what Leviticus is talking about. Jesus affirmed the tithe. Sometimes people ask, well, what about the New Testament? The only time that Jesus ever gave the Pharisees a compliment is in Matthew 23, 23, when he said, you guys do tithe. Now, I want to strangle you guys, okay? But you do tithe. So Jesus affirmed all over in the new. Uh, Romans 11 describes it this way. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So in other words, when we bring that first portion to God, it, it sanctifies the rest of it. The rest of it is holy by what we do with the first portion. In 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul uh, said it like this. Now, regarding your question about um, the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should uh, follow the same procedures I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion that you have earned. And he's talking about offerings here. But he says offerings should be planned and premeditated. Right. If you wait to decide what you're going to give um, till you just feel something at the worship experience on Sunday, you're going to be all over the map. He said here it ought to be planned out like it ought to be thought through. Right. When we come to the house of worship and we and we go online to, to bring tithes and offerings, we, we, we ought to have a plan. We ought, we ought to have thought about it. I think we should have prayed about it. And he says on the first day of the week, in other words, first to God. The first day, that's why we worship on Sunday. Jesus rose from the grave, so we, we start the week off, the first day of the week in worship, Sunday. And when we do that, we bring the tithe to God. It's premeditated, it's planned. And he says, in doing that, um, you know, we begin to honor the Lord. We honor the Lord with that. Now, um, I love to go out to eat. I love it. And last uh, week, we were at a great restaurant 
and the service was off the hook. I mean, the lady that was serving us, man, she had, you know, drinks and appetizers and service out the wazoo. It was fantastic. I was like, whoa, what a show has been put on today. And they brought the bill and I said, Gina, we need to, we need to give, we need, we need to give an extra tip. Have you ever wanted to tip somebody extra? You're like, you know, kind of like, here's kind of average. You guys exceeded expectations. Let me just put you into that category. And so we gave a really nice tip to this lady and she deserved it. And it was awesome. Listen, when it comes to the house of God, there's a difference between tipping and tithing. You may think, well, Pastor Ryan's sermon was awesome today. I felt something. Woo! We'll put a little more in there, you know? <laughs> the band killed it. Whoa! The testimonies, the baptisms. Wow! It was awesome. You know? Or yeah, Pastor Ryan was talking about something. I have no idea what that was all about, you know. What was he, what was he doing over there in the Old Testament, that weird passage, you know? Less tip and tithe. And a lot of people give kind of like they tip based on the service that they think that they receive. But tithing is so much different. Tithing is based on our level of income. It's based on our consistency and it's based on our faith and our confidence in the Lord. So how do we get up out of the box? We bring God into the equation. We bring God into our finances. A lot of people believe God can heal sick people. They believe that God can change people's hearts and lives. They believe God can save marriages, but they don't believe God can intervene in their finances. I mean, it's almost like we have this little area of our life and we're like, oh, I'm totally good if God works over here and does that. That doesn't surprise me at all. When it comes to my money, God can't do anything. That is living in a box. I want to tell you today, if God can save your soul, God can transform your finances. I mean, if God can redeem your heart and your mind, he can change the way that you deal with your money and the fear and the anxiety and the, 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 the uh, feeling stuck and limited. God can change all of that. Let's not section off this one little place of our life where we're like, this is just... This is all up to me, you know? I mean, God can do all this. This is all up to me. But we got to bring God into the equation. And Cain didn't, and Abel did. And Abel w brought an offering that God received, and God said, Abel, way to go. That was amazing. Cain, on the other hand, well, he kind of goes off the, ra off the rails here. We'll see that in just a second. Um, one of our senior adults started tithing a few years ago, and they said, Ryan, we have been in church our entire life. We have given, but we've never been tithers. And you challenged us to tithe, so we started to tithe. And what is so amazing is God continued to provide for us, uh, even in and through the tithe, and we've never missed anything. I mean, it's like God just started making up the difference. We don't even know how it worked out. I talked to somebody after that sermon when I shared that a few years ago, and a guy came up to me and he goes, Ryan, I'm really wealthy and I want you to know that if I started tithing, I would miss it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I really appreciate your candor and your honesty. <laughs> you know? And he was just sharing and we were talking and all that. And I said, well, listen, the point of that, of me sharing that was not to tell you that you won't ever miss some of the money. My point was to tell you that God will take care of what your needs are. 
That's the point. Amen. You put God first in the finances, God will begin to take care of your needs. Okay. See, the financial crunch that you're in today may be the greatest thing. It may, may be the greatest opportunity for faith that you've ever had before. God will find those areas in our life where we're vulnerable, where we feel so afraid, we feel incarcerated, and many times God will put his finger there. But when we begin to trust him with it, that's when our faith begins to explode. That's when we begin to go to a new level in our walk with God. That's when we begin to rise up. We've been talking about rising up over the last few weeks. And we talked about earlier in our series that the term rise up in the Bible always is in reference to a, a time of adversity or a time of struggle. Well, we need to rise up out of the box and to let God intervene and move in our finances. Well, let's see where this story with Cain goes. In verse 6 of Genesis 4, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Okay, so God discerns Cain is losing his mind. Cain is jealous of his brother. Why did God love your offering and he didn't like mine? Cain's angry. He's ticked. God says, whoa, Cain, don't do it. God's always patient. God's always gracious. Cain, don't go there. Cain doesn't listen. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground, and now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And it's interesting that the envy and the jealousy that Cain felt escalated, and it led him to other sins. He was selfish, he was envious, he was murderous, and then he was devious when he lied to God. He was on that downward spiral, you know? Now, I'm not telling you today you're going to become a murderer if you're not generous, but I do want you to see this in the passage, okay? When we allow certain sins to reside in our heart, it welcomes other sins to go with it. Amen. When we when we say no to God here, it's just a lot easier to say no to God in other places. When we say yes to God, then guess what? We have spiritual momentum and then saying yes to God in other areas of our lives begins to to be the fruition, come to fruition in our lives. And 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 Cain, unfortunately, wandered the earth uh, because he lost his mind over being envious and jealous of what his brother had. Cain didn't listen to God. He didn't listen. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is perhaps one of my favorite verses about tithing and giving. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Um, when, we, when we give to God the natural... God will bring the supernatural. Do you see it? Look at it again. 
honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Okay, we've talked about first fruits, the first portions. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will overflow. With that. That's God's touch. That's God's blessing. That's God's power. Okay. Now, there's a lot of different types of blessings that God brings when we give. There's spiritual blessings. There's emotional blessings. It feels good. It's more blessed to give than to receive. All that. Sometimes there's financial blessings. You know, um, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount that uh, about how God takes care of our needs. And when we put God first uh, in our finances, it's amazing how God just starts to work things and orchestrate things. I'm not telling you today you're necessarily going to be a millionaire if you start to tithe. But I can tell you God will do great things in your life. He will. And Proverbs says here, look, your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will, over, uh, be, will brim over with new wine. In other words, you're going to get up out of that box. Um, Cain got offended when he heard the word of God. Abel had a moldable heart that was receptive to the word of God. He, he listened and, and God uh, directed him and helped him. How do we begin to climb out of this box? Well, maybe you're in a number of different situations. Uh, some of us today have never been a tither before. And you know, I can't think of a greater time to start giving than now. It'd be awesome. I mean, a huge step of faith for you. And maybe you want to take the 90-day tithe challenge that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. It'd be amazing. A great journey of faith. God's going to do something awesome in your heart. Others of us, maybe you have tithed at times in the past. Maybe you're behind. This is a great time to get caught up. You got to get back on the stick. Maybe you got distracted a little bit or whatever. That's all right. You know, just get back in the journey with the Lord. Others of us today are really faithful. I mean, you guys have been in the church. You've been tithing. You're, you're, you're consistent. You're, you're, it's awesome. It's a great job. You know what? Good job. Keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. Keep being consistent. And you know, others of us today, maybe we've been tithing, but God's challenging you to, to maybe even up your giving into offerings. You know, a few years ago, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and I've always brought the tithe. But you know, I feel like spiritually that I should be challenged beyond that. Like I'm not in spiritual kindergarten anymore. And from that point on, Gina and I started giving above and beyond. We started bringing offerings. We started doing more. We felt like God expected that of us. And maybe you're at that point where you're like, I want to stretch a little more. You've been tithing. You want to bring offerings, man. You want to say, you know what? I love the Lord. I love to give. It's an awesome thing. And I want to stretch myself and my faith even to a new level. When we do all of those things, we climb out of the box and we climb into the purpose and the plans and the destiny that God has for our lives. Here's the good news today. We don't have to live here. We can live here. And if we will simply bring God into the equation, he will do amazing things in our life and in our money. Let's bow for a word of prayer.